everyone. Welcome to the Copy Blogger Podcast. My name is Tim Stoddard. Thank you so much for joining me. My guest today is Greg Eisenberg. Greg, what's up, man? Thank you so much for coming on the show. It's a, a pleasure and an honor to be here. <laughs> Stop. I'm not that cool. Uh, I promise you. Uh, all well, right. It's not about you, Tim, actually. It's about Copy Blogger. You know, I've been following well, the, 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 the amazingness for uh i don't know 15 years is that possible yeah that's how long i've been following it i only took over well took over in bits and pieces you know i bought like chunks of equity at a time but i'm the full owner of it as about five months ago so um i really appreciate you saying that thank you so much it's an honor for me as well you know i think it's always like pretty funny because uh it's it's one of the good, the great things and one of the bad things about the internet where it's like, I'm still the same person that I always was, but now like I'm the guy from copy blogger and all of a sudden, like, <laughs> you know, people want to talk to me. Um, so that's, that's pretty hysterical, but, but nonetheless, it's, it's an important brand. And like, I, I take it really, really, really seriously. It, it, it changed my life. And so I really, I feel like I'm, I'm carrying the torch for, for the next round of writers, if that makes sense. It does. It does. I look forward to see what you, seeing what you do with it. Thank you. All right. Well, I'm going to start at a little bit of an unconventional place because um, one thing that is a little bit unique about you and your business is your website, your latecheckout.studio website. I got to tell you, man, I've never seen anything like this before for anyone who's just listening to it. Um, the website is basically like a 3D interface that kind of looks like a theme park. <laughs> I think that's what you were going for, a theme park, like a, a town, a town square. And then as you scroll over the front of it, these little buildings kind of pop up and, and these buildings essentially turn into the links, which link out to to the, the different brands and the companies that you own. So I know it's like kind of a weird place to start, but I just, I got to know about this website. Did you come up with this idea or did somebody put this together for you? So I came up with this idea at uh, Disney World in Orlando. Nice. And I was walking through Disney World and just noticed how incredible everything was designed. Um, the smells, the buildings, the neighborhoods, just everything was really thought of, well thought of and well placed. And... Uh, Later, I watched the Imagineering documentary uh, about the Imagineers, the people who actually come up with the concepts for the rides and stuff like that. And um, they take it really, really seriously about um, immersion and creating a space that people want to stay a while and that they sort of, you kind of lose sense of where you are. And I wanted to do something similar with the website. Um, so when you go to the website, you know, it feels different. It feels like a place. It feels like a place that you can explore. And because Late Checkout is a holding company, meaning we're a business that owns multiple businesses, um, I wanted people to, yeah, just treat it as like, you know, the, the quote, uh, buy the ticket, take the ride. It was almost like you were buying a ticket to the experience. And this is just the tip of the iceberg. We're actually like adding a ton of new Easter eggs and immersion to it. So stay tuned. But, um, and then I will say it doesn't hurt that we have a innovation agency called late checkout agency, which I just went to them one day and I was like, Hey, what would a website that looked like Disney world look like? Um, and because they work with the largest brands in the world, like Nike and Shopify and Dropbox, they were like stoked. It's like my own like digital Imagineering team. Um, and I will say, I'll say this, I'll say that while it might look like the website isn't a conversion machine um, because it is not standard, uh, the brand and the word of mouth that is built has 100% driven, you know, millions and millions of dollars of revenue just from that website. So highly recommend wow. if you're looking to build a website, think about, and you're looking to build a brand, think about how can I make this, unexpected 
Yeah, what's the expression like? Don't be better, be different. It's it's certainly different. I've never seen anything like it. Um, okay, there was a bunch of places that I was thinking about going and talking to you. You and I just recently started chatting through Twitter. There was a a, a tweet. It's more like an essay now that Twitter's or X, excuse me, is a little bit more long form now. And so I, I want to talk about that. But before we get there, man, um, you mentioned late checkout being a holding company. And this is a theme from last week's episode. And it's basically what I'm doing with, with my own career, where you no longer have to be like a private equity firm to build a portfolio of businesses. You know, like you can be a person, you can basically be like an individualized. I like to think of it as, as kind of long tail, right? Like every person is a media company. Every person is sort of turning into their own, their own holdings company. Was this the plan for you all along? Did you always have this vision of you being like just an individual entity that would start businesses and gobble up equity stakes in, in other companies? Or is this something that just kind of happened? This actually, I had this idea um, in, you know, f 15 years ago. Um, and I had a name for it. And it was called Islands. And the idea was I was going to have these like different businesses, different islands, so to speak. Um, mm -hmm. And I had recently, you know, moved to San Francisco, Silicon Valley, and had gotten to know these like pretty well-known venture capitalists. And when I pitched them the idea, I was like, oh, like my dream is to build this like holding company and like, we're not going to raise money and we're just going to like have a bunch of businesses. And they told me that it was a bad idea, basically. Wow. And I was naive and I listened to them because, the, you know, I looked up to these people. These guys were my yeah. heroes. And I, uh, I ended up actually a few years later, ended up turning islands, uh, into a venture backed startup. So I actually created a venture backed consumer social app called Islands, which sold to WeWork. And that was a whole other chapter in my life, but it was only until COVID. I think a lot of us had this, um, epiphany during COVID where it was like, life is short and anything could happen. Um, and you want to be doing your life's work if you can, if you have the privilege to work on your life's work. And I remember thinking to myself, oh, that original concept of islands, like I, I want to do that. And I wrote a blog post in early 2020 called why the future of startups is product studios or our product studios. And I talked about what, what basically became the blueprint of multi what I call multipreneurship, someone who builds multiple companies under one brand, or people call holding companies, some people call it personal holding companies. So I brought back that idea. And I will say that it's been the most fun I've ever had career wise. Yeah. I certainly relate. I'm going to stick on to this because it sounds like we had similar journeys just in terms of our mindset. I read a book years and years ago called The One Thing, which is a pretty popular book these days. It was written by um, something Keller, right? I forget his name. He's the guy that had that huge like real estate company. And the whole book was just about focus and about only working on on one thing. And so for the last 10 years, I've, I've really took that book seriously. I don't know why. Just the thought of like coming up short when I had this one thing that I knew if I just focused on that, that could really be a winner for me. And and it has been, it's an agency that, um, most people know this. I got sober years and years ago and I created an agency that like specializes in, in working in, in behavioral health. And it's been like, great. I mean, it's, it's been hugely successful. Probably the reason why I've been able to do a lot of the things that I've been able to do, but somewhere along the line, I had a similar uh, epiphany. It wasn't necessarily COVID related. It was like family related. There's just a family experience I had. It was like, you know what? I like working on different stuff. I love working on my behavioral health care industry. I like writing creatively. You know, copy blogger was a huge part of my life. I, I like being in the content marketing space. Um, some other things that are healthcare related, I like. And so it was, yeah, it was like a real fuck it moment where it's like, why not? Am I going to look back at this and like regret not doing the things that I, I always wanted to do? And I, I think that this thought process 
isn't necessarily unique to you and I. I think a lot of people are starting to see this where it's like, wait a minute, I can do this. There's like a world of possibilities out there. And I, I think we just got to go for it, right? Yeah, I think human beings, whether we like to admit it or not, seek to do things that are high status. And mm -hmm. when I was in my 20s, doing a venture backed startup was high status, you know, raising money from Sequoia or Andreessen Horowitz, that gave you the stamp of approval that you're doing something cool. Getting a, you know, big check from a venture capital fund was, was really cool. And seeing your valuation go up and up and up and up was high status. All these things were high status. And the interesting thing is, where the alpha is, meaning where the opportunity is, is actually things that are low status that turn into high status. Okay. So when I started a holding company, you know, three and a half years ago now, it was very low status um, to do it bootstrapped, especially, you know, maybe if I would have raised millions of dollars, it would have been medium status um or medium high status but my point is well first of all i agree with you we all have we all you know process life and have these crossroads and then have these realizations especially as we get older um memento mori meaning like yeah. you know you you understand that you have more you know a certain amount of days on in this in this life and you're kind of like, I want to go do what would be the most fun and most fulfilling to me. And if that's something that's low status, I don't care. And I'm okay with like going to a, a cocktail party or a dinner party or wherever and being saying I'm the CEO of Late Checkout and we own a bunch of internet communities and we own a bunch of agencies, design, growth and being okay with it, you know, versus, um, hey, I run a billion dollar venture back thing that has raised $250 million, but has like two weeks of runway left. So it's like on the outside, it looks like I'm killing it, but on the inside, it, it feels like you're on this treadmill. And that was my big realization, having moved to Silicon Valley had that huge experience, um, been a part of WeWork, you know, my last company sold to WeWork when WeWork is like the epitome of, um, when venture capital goes wrong, what happens. And, uh, yeah, my only like takeaway from that, I mean, I guess my biggest takeaway from that is, and this just sounds like very tacky and corny to say, but do things that feel fulfilling and do things that potentially are low status that you think will be high status in five to 10 years. Both of those things are huge staples for what I've, I've been learning, man, there's like, <clears throat> you're a very thoughtful person. I can tell that you think carefully about what it is you want to say. And so many of, so many of the sentences that you had, I'm like, putting little bullet points in my mind to come back to because the idea of finding an industry or a niche or a lane that is low status now that might be high status in the future. I think about this. I don't even know how much, like 40 times a day, every time I'm on Twitter and I see people talking about the next AI thing or the next whatever thing I'm thinking, you're all going where everybody is going. And that's like the worst place to do because we're already seeing it with AI, just as an example. The only thing that you can really do to make it better is make it cheaper because everybody's doing the same thing, right? It's like very difficult to rise to the top when it becomes commoditized. And me being in, you know, something like behavioral healthcare, super boring, super clinical. Nobody ever looks at this and thinks to themselves, oh, wow, like that's a move. I'm seeing these things everywhere. Something that's just like super boring that nobody wants to do and has huge, huge business potential behind it. And so like 
I don't even necessarily have a question here. I'm just kind of reflecting back to, to what you say. I feel like everybody else is crazy right now because everyone's just flocking to these things where it's like, oh, this is so cool. I want to be a part of this. I want to be a part of this. And I'm looking at it like, so an example, right? I can't, who knows how many electrician, plumbing businesses, uh, local retail stores. I just wrote a blog about this the other day on my website are going up to sale now that boomers are all starting their businesses, right? And the amount of numbers, or, or excuse me, the the data that shows like how few people want to buy these businesses is crazy. All of these businesses are cash flow positive. They're all profitable. They've all paid off their bank loans because it's like government loans from 30 or 40 years ago, right? I see that and I think, go there. There's money there, but you're not going to get a lot of Twitter followers by buying or starting low status, high profitable businesses that way, which is so ass backwards. Hey there, it's Tim, and I need to take a moment to tell you about this show's sponsor. It's a product called Hype Fury. When I was able to speak to Yannick, uh, who is the CMO, one of the founding partners of Hype Fury, and he agreed to sponsor the show, I was so thrilled. And the reason is because I have personally used Hype Fury for the last three years, and it has allowed me to build my social media following and my personal brand to over 70,000 followers. I could not have done it without Hype Fury. And I, I really, really mean that. I use this product every day and it's added so much to my business and to my life. So Hype Fury is a social media scheduling tool. It has three main features that I think separates it from every other tool. One, it, it allows you to quickly create content and schedule them. So it's a very nuanced feature, but it's so helpful. Basically, I, I sit down at my desk in the morning and I type out my tweet, and I type out my LinkedIn post, and then all I do is I hit enter. And Hype Fury schedules it at the opportune time on Twitter and on LinkedIn. I don't have to think about it any more than that. All I have to do is sit down and create my tweets, create my posts, hit enter, and Hype Fury does all the work for me. Uh, second, Hype Fury makes it so that you can easily create threads. And threads have been the biggest value add for me in growing my following. So threads really helped me grow my following on Twitter. And those threads format themselves into longer form LinkedIn posts on LinkedIn. It's actually kind of funny. I made a video about this not too long ago about how, yes, like you want to create threads on Twitter. You want to be a thread boy because I'd say like 80% of my growth on both Twitter and LinkedIn have been from threads and long form posts. And I wouldn't have been able to format any of this without using Hype Fury. Uh, and then third, Hype Fury is really good for keeping you inspired. So what it does is it, it shows you some of your most popular tweets and your most popular posts. And it, it basically gives you information. It gives you inspiration as to what your audience is looking for and what they most actively engage in. So you're never sitting at the computer thinking, oh man, like, what am I going to say today? What, you know, what kind of content am I going to create today? It's constantly feeding you new ideas, new inspiration, and it allows you to, to quickly create this content so that you can continuously get yourself out there, continuously build your brand, and most importantly, turn that social media following into newsletter subscribers. So through Hype Fury, I've been able to grow my personal email list, timstods.com, to over 30,000 followers. That's turned into a business within itself. It's really helped me grow the Copy Blogger newsletter. We're at 110,000 followers right now. A whole lot of that is, is also because of Hype Fury. So please, this is a product that I use every single day. I personally vouch for it. You can check it out at hypefury.com. H-Y-P-E-F-U-R-Y.com. If you have any problems with it, you can send me a DM on Twitter. And I'm sure I can convince you as to why it will add value to your life. So hypefury.com. Thank you so much to Hype Fury for sponsoring the show. And let's get back to the episode. Like I understand why people are uh, driven to high status things because yeah. I, I think we all are impulsively. Um, and the thing with business building, which is different from a lot of other things in life is business building is very long-term focused. So yeah. you only see the rewards of your work 
usually after years, years of pain, generally. Um, and sure. with things like Twitter, for example, you know, you can tweet about, you know, I tweeted about AI yesterday. I had 1.4 million people uh, who saw my tweet and I had, you know, 4,000 or something likes on that tweet. That made me feel good. Um, that really made me feel good. And subconsciously, I might be like, you know what, I'm going to tweet more about AI now. Um, these are the short term dopamine traps that you can get into, uh, which I think as builders and entrepreneurs, we have to be very mindful of, are we doing something because it feels good? Are we doing something because other people like our parents or our friends think it's cool to be doing this? Um, are we seeking validation? Um, or are we doing this because we think that this particular tweet, idea, business is what's most authentic to you and what you should be doing? So for example, with myself, I really feel as late checkout is like the in so many ways is like the expression of, you know, creative expression, I should say of a lot of my endeavors. Um, mm. So like I created an innovation agency with my team, of course, incredible team, but I created that because I am that person who loves to like, look at, um, you know, let's say a dr Dropbox as a company and being like, if we were to redesign Dropbox, from the beginning, what would that look like? And how can we make it like so interesting and, and different and unique and community focused. So then like, cool, build a business around that. Um, I've always been interested in organic search. Um, so we built a business called boringmarketing.com, which um, is actually started off as a piece of AI software to build SEO optimized pages that I was, we were just using for our own products. And then we're like, Oh, there's probably a service business here. Other businesses could use this. And then we built that business. Um, you probably need a robot.com, which is like an AI and productivity community. So you can just Last name. Thank you. So I think, yeah. you know, the point is the point I'm trying to make, I'm just using this as an examples is the cool part about holding companies is you can use it as a way and a venue to express yourself. I agree completely. It's been the other thing that you said earlier is it's the most fun that you've had in a long time. This is the most fun I've had building shit that I really can ever remember. And wow, now that you mention it, like it is a representation of all the things I'm into. You know, like I have my whole recovery based media brand. Now that I just bashed AI for a while, like I'm an SEO and we built an AI article writing tool, which is going really well. Um, copy blogger, obviously, which was like my education. You know, I'm, I, I didn't get an education other than than reading copy blogger. A couple other projects. I'm not I'm not here like talking about my book. I'm just reflecting on what you said where, yeah, it's like it's it's. It's, it's a representation of like the creative aspect of what I, of what I think is interesting, which is also, I'm not, I'm not really sure if, if there's like a, a big point there other than for me, it's, it is possible to build, to, to do the things that you love to do and not get stuck in this thing that you do just because you need to get the paycheck. Yeah, I mean, that's the point, like, that's the point yeah. you're making, which is, or that we're both making, I guess, which is like, if we can do it, you can, like you, you didn't have formal education, I'm a college dropout, you know, like, I, I grew up in Canada, which isn't exactly like New York City, you know, like, I didn't, you know, you can do it from anywhere, you need an internet connection, and you need the ability to you need to pick a lane that you feel you're, you know, basically, and, and you, you know, or you want to know, and you have the curiosity to be learning in public. And 
that's what fires me up about the internet just in general like even after all these years is like it's well I, I was watching just before this I was watching like an Instagram reel of this you know this comedian Andrew Schultz yeah of course so he's all over now because he's promoting his uh his Madison Square Garden thing that he did exactly so there's this there's this video of him, like he's in the subway and like Frank Sinatra's playing and he's just like getting out of the subway and he's, you can just see him like almost like Rocky, you know, climbing up the steps, you know, he's just like mm. so stoked. He's so stoked and you, you hear the music and it's getting louder and louder and he comes out of the subway and he's in front of Madison Square Garden. He walks into Madison Square Garden and he's just like so triumphant. That's how I feel every single morning when I like open up my laptop and I log on to the internet. <laughs> like, yeah, the Madison Square Garden is the internet for everyone. Like, you don't need to be at Madison Square Garden. You just need the ability to pick the lane and find your own Madison Square Garden on the internet and good things will happen. I want to talk tactically for a second, because this is something I've been thinking about a lot recently, where it's pretty easy to say, if you have a laptop, you have an internet connection, you can do what we're doing. You can create multiple companies, you can buy and or like earn your way into equity of other companies. But I've come to realize that one of the things that is like fundamentally required in the beginning is cash, right? Is cash flow. And I've never raised a dollar in my life. I, I've I've never been in that world. It still kind of fascinates me a little bit. I think it's so weird how it's like a good thing to raise money, even though your business isn't profitable. I always look at that like, how did that even become a thing, right? Um, but I had my agency, and although agencies like aren't like we talked about, like high status kind of cool tech products, they're very good in terms of cash flow because they're just instantly profitable, right? Like as soon as you get your first client, I mean, I, I suppose you could lose money on it, but it's it's unlikely. Like you you probably have a little a little bit of profitability once you have your first client. So I've been thinking a lot about that infrastructure and how it is like in my case that boring, heavy cash flow type business that has allowed me the flexibility to pick and choose other markets. Like you have options, right? Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. I, I, I think I heard this somewhere when you were on, um, on Sam's podcast a while ago, where that was your first business, right? Like you got started with an agency, with the yes. service business. And uh, has that happened for you? Has it been that cash flow that you generated that allows you to have other options? Yeah, I think what's great about a, a service business or an agency business is you know, you can build, you can build it in a day or less, right? Mm -hmm. Think about it. You need a brand, a name, a domain, and a landing page. Um, that's all you need. So that's cool. Um, and, and then to your point, it, you know, you get some margin to produce the service. Um, you know, the, the trap with agencies is as you get bigger and bigger and bigger, sometimes that margin gets smaller and smaller. Um, and there's lots of, I think the average agency probably, you know, doesn't make very much money and is probably around five to 10% EBITDA, which is not very great, especially considering how much risk, risk you have at that point. If you have a hundred employees and you're making 7% EBITDA, just like, that's scary. It's you're it's you're you're flying too close to the sun, but yeah, I I started off in in services um, because it was the most um, lo, you know low status old school way to 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 build some cash flow, and then from there, it, you know, instead of reinvesting to build the biggest agency in the world, um, yeah. how do you build more? software or other types of businesses that can scale uh, better than a service type business. Um, that's the way to think about it. I think the way to think about it is I'm going to take 
the cash flow from an agency to build other things that could be more scalable. So for example, with late checkout, uh, the innovation agency, I think we only have 12 clients or something a year, 12 or 14 clients. And we actually max out the amount of clients that we want because we're not trying to grow it to be the next idea. You know, someone on this call, on a call before this, someone was like, "Hey, you guys are kind of like an IDEO, but, you know, uh, but, you know, focused on like community-based design. I was like, yeah, but in my head I was thinking, yeah, IDEO is like hundreds of employees. I would never want to run that business. Um, so that's just something that I learned as an entrepreneur building service-based businesses is write down when you're when you're starting your business how big how how big or small do you want this business to be and what does success look like and that might sound obvious but you know you'd be surprised how not only don't don't just write it down actually in the beginning like check in with yourself every three six twelve months you know because you you might be growing 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 and then be and realize oh man like i didn't all of a sudden i'm i mean champagne problem but all of a sudden I'm running this massive agency and like, this isn't what I signed up for. What happened to like the multipreneur goal that you were after? I don't think it's easy to say champagne problem, but I think a lot of people do fall into that trap that you're talking about. I, I, I just, I think it's a matter of failing to replace yourself because that's, that really is the trap when it comes to agencies is like you think and you feel more importantly that like nobody cares as much as I do. And it's a real thing, you know, it's definitely a real thing. And I've certainly been there, but you got to get out from under it and like continuously replace yourself. If you want your margins to, to be healthy enough to where it's like an actual business that makes money. And the, the reason why I say that is because I don't think it's uncommon for people to do exactly the opposite when it comes to service businesses where like you work more to make less and how do you get out of it? You have to just work more, right? It's, it's, it's almost like once you get to that point, you can't get out from it because you can't replace yourself without losing a, a bunch of clients. I've been grateful and fortunate. Like I'm a, I'm a reader. Basically I read all the time and uh, I've just read a couple of books that I feel I can't really even claim credit for it. Like it was just the right book at the right time, the right message at the right time. And so I felt like I was always one step ahead of, of falling off the cliff in that way. But I advocate anybody to do it because exactly like you said, it's almost like you've created an internal funding mechanism to make it so that that cash that you generate, and correct me if I'm wrong, by the way, I'm, I'm assuming this is what you're telling me, but that cash that you generate that you can then deploy to a more scalable type project to where all of a sudden, you know, you're 10xing, maybe even a hundred xing on your time. Yeah, it's, it's exactly what I'm saying. And like the way I see it is like if you're making a million dollars a year, that's one seed round per year. If you're making five million dollars per year, that's five seed rounds. If you're making 10 million, it's 10 seed rounds. So that's the way I see it is you're essentially, you're becoming your own VC. You know, when, when you talk yeah. about venture, the word that often comes up is portfolio. VCs talk about their portfolio. Um, and you're doing the exact same thing here because you're incubating or buying other businesses. The only difference is when a VC, you know, writes a check into a seed business, they're, they're buying, you know, 10% or something around there, five, 10, 15% of that business. But the cool thing about this whole multipreneur world where you can reinvest cash flow and stuff like that is, well, you can actually own 70, 80, 90, 100% of these businesses, uh, like your holding company can, um, which is really, really cool because then all of a sudden you have one business and it sort of starts to take off then you get this like acquisition offer and maybe someone offers you, um, you know, eight times profit uh, or 12 times profit, or, you know, maybe it's a fast growing SaaS business and they want to give you, uh, you know, 40 times EBITDA. Um, and all of a sudden 
you're making life-changing money on selling one of your assets, um, which I think you're going to see a lot more of uh, over the next few years. You're basically going to have this multipreneurship movement grow. More and more people are going to become these multipreneurs. Some of these businesses are going to work. Some of them are not going to work, obviously. Some of these businesses will have to close down. But you'll see more examples of some of these higher beta software type businesses end up selling for millions of dollars. And even if they sells for $7 million, let's say, you know, that's... That sounds great. It sounds great, right? Like, <laughs> you know, if you actually do the math, like, let's do the math. Let's say you start, uh, you know, here's the VC Silicon Valley way. So you start, you start a business, you raise, you know, a million dollars in your pre-seed round, 15% dilution. Well, first of all, let's say you have three co-founders and it's a third, a third, a third. Because, you know, in Silicon Valley, they, they look for co-founders. They need that, you know, and you need to get the top. The sales guy, the product yeah. guy, the operations guy or girl. So exactly. So you have, you know, you're, you're at a third and then you lose, you know, in every round you're losing 15 to 20% dilution. So maybe you go, you know, do a seed, a series A, a series B, and your 33% now is worth 10 to 15%. Um, again, maybe you raise $75 million, but you sell the business for $200 million. So you sell the business for $200 million, 75 goes back to uh, the investors. Um, it takes 10 years uh, and you know, you're seeing 10% of $130 million. Now that's a lot of money. $13 million is great, but it's way easier, honestly, to go and build something, scale it, sell it for five, seven, nine million dollars um, there's just way more buyers at that level too. And the hurdle totally. is a lot. So I think it's, it's an option. The reason I like speaking about speaking out about this whole way of doing business is because I think it's when I was building, you know, islands and when I was building my previous companies, like I never really considered that this was a viable option. Yeah. Um, but it really is. I'm glad that you like talking about this because you've been involved recently, somewhat recently with, with communities. It seems like online communities is an avenue that you're kind of finding your lane in. And I know you've had a lot of success with that. So I was thinking like, man, he's probably really wanting to talk about his community side business. But I was like, ah, you know what? I, this website is so cool. It seems like we're really similar. So I'm, 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 I'm glad I touched on this because I can tell you're passionate about it. I want to touch on one of the downsides though and get your viewpoint, which is, I do think there is something to the concept of like spreading focus out in a bunch of different ways. I have my own kind of opinion on it. And maybe I should say my own, um, like how I, I, I mitigate that. But what are your thoughts on that? Do you think that is something that could be troublesome for people? And, and how have you made it not so? Yeah, I think... I think it's a, a mistake that someone can make is being like, okay, I listened to Tim and Greg speak and I want to be a multipreneur and I'm going to go build five businesses this year. And I think that's a mistake. Um, I think, you know, you mentioned community, like to me, to me, like community is just like a method in order to build attention and build trust. Uh, like that's why I love internet communities. Um, so I pick a niche. I build attention via social products, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and I funnel those into different communities, get to know them better, nurture them. And then I build products for, for those people. Um, and that's my method. It's like, you know, but I think uh, we, we do it one, one lane at a time, you know, we, so for example, like, when we started Lay Checkout, we said, we're just going to only focus on the innovation agency. We focused on the innovation agency. We got it to a point where it was self-sustaining. And then we kind of like, we're still involved in the business, of course, but we have leadership there that is taking it to the next level. That allowed us to focus on the next business. 
we focused on that. We got to product market fit. Then we slowly, you know, move from a day to day to an advisory and support level. So mm-hmm. we do that one step at a time, you know, one at a time. And that's the key. I think like the key is don't do five things at a time because then you're just, it's so hard to get product market fit that you're just, you, you're in, you're lowering the probability of basically getting product market fit. Um, yeah. So that would be my recommendation to folks. Well, I thought you said that lowering the probability. I, I think about, I try my best to think of things in that way. It's like very Buffett Munger esque. It's just, if you look mm-hmm. at things in probabilities, then you don't actually have to make the right decision that much. You just like try to continuously make the next highest probability decision. Uh, so that's cool that you're thinking that way. I do too. I'm curious, man, you've talked about a bunch of different things and this is a little bit of an off the cuff topic. What is it that you enjoy doing the most? Like you obviously have a skill set in a bunch of different avenues. What, if you could just chill at home for a week and tinker around on a thing, what is, what is that thing? What do you like doing? I mean, like a lot of people, I'm, I'm always evolving, you know? So my interest changes over time. Like if I, you know, recently, for example, I've gotten into tennis and so like, would it be crazy if we built late checkup, built like some media business and community business around tennis? not crazy at all. Um, I think, you know, what I'm into changes over time because I'm learning and I'm, I'm, I'm following my curiosity. Um, but if you're asking me right now, like, you know, I had a week off and I could go tinker, I'd be like, yeah, like what, what would be, uh, you know, and it, I'm, I'm very interested in media, media brands, like what kind of media can I build in a few niches that I'm, really interested in and what's what's an underserved you know i'm just using tennis as an example but like what what type of tennis player or tennis even viewer is feels like they're underserved right now and what's something that i can create for them build media for them that ultimately they start trusting this brand and then from there i can go and you know build some product for them which is really cool for me because then i'm like as a person who likes tennis, I'm like, cool. Now I have this like business. It's almost like an excuse to go watch Wimbledon or, you know, go to a certain event and it makes my life a lot more full. Do you have a hard time? Actually, I'll make this about me. I really struggle to shut that part of my brain off because it seems like everywhere I look, it's like, Oh, this is a cool community. This is a cool community. This is a cool community. I mean, it could be about anything. I've I've been a Muay Thai trainer basically for a long time. And as popular as Muay Thai and martial arts have gotten over the last 10 years, there's still like very few legitimate, like professional online communities about it. And so every day I just can't help it. I'm thinking like, that's an easy one. That's an easy one. That's an easy one. How, How are you at keeping your brain not running away from you and, and really like saying no to more things than you say yes to. Um, I'm actually quite good at saying no to things. Like my default is no. Um, I'm, I'm very, like, I understand that time is like my number one resource. So I'm always like, I hate when my time is being wasted or I'm spending it the wrong way. So I'm very no, no, no. But in terms of turning off my brain, like at nighttime and stuff like that, it's a constant struggle. Um, I was like taking sleeping pills every night, prescription sleeping pills to fall asleep because I can fall asleep. Ended up finding like that, ended up finding like, now I use something called Beam which is like a melatonin plus um, reishi mushrooms and a few other things that like combine, you know, it's all natural. And like that, that puts me right to sleep. Um, 
and uh, yeah, that's, I need, you know, if I, so I need things like that to shut down basically, you know, <laughs> it's, it's difficult. Um, four sigmatic mushroom tea is, is definitely my go-to that shit knocks me out. Um, and it's, it's all natural, which, which I really like as well. I think, man, I, I think you and I have like a whole lot in common. It seems like you're viewing this landscape much in the same way that I am. Um, we're, we're kind of running out of time and I'm going to bring up one last little topic, which could probably be a, a podcast within itself, but I'm, I'm interested to see your viewpoint about it. This idea about communities, are you looking at communities as a product within themselves are you looking at communities as more just like a brand building mechanism so that people share your ideas for you? I think this word communities has gotten like a lot of buzz around it. Like it's, it's cool all of a sudden to have a community, but it's no different than it always was. Like communities are foundational to who we are as people. I think the difference is now software has come around, which make it a whole lot easier to create paid communities. And so I'm just curious, is that a model that you're playing in with with paid communities or is it more so that just community building will build a brand an idea and a business for you um so it's it's both so like first of all i define community-based products as either the community itself is the product or the community enhances mm -hmm. the product so mm -hmm. either you're building a product that the community enhances so for example like the example i like using is soho house like if the membership of soho house gets poor, not good, like you're, you're going to, on your way out, you're going to cancel your membership. But if it's really cool and interesting and you meet high quality people, you know, you might show up more often and get more value out of it. And community is the product could be something like a paid community. So what's cool about paid communities as a business model is, um, it's got that same software as a service like revenue model monthly membership totally. but you don't have to build any software so mm -hmm. for example i have a paid community i run almost as like a way to to meet people interesting interesting building community-based products i use a platform called school to run it and it's cool um yeah. And people join it and I just launch it and I have 200 people paying hundred bucks a month, um, yeah. $99 a month. And so it's, it's bringing in $20,000 a month, uh, of revenue. And the truth is like, I'm not doing it for the revenue. We, we actually pay for like it, when you buy, when you, when you buy, when you buy it, you actually get free, uh, admin to create, you basically get a free $99 a month school subscription. So we partnered with them. So it's like, I'm not making really any money, but if I wanted to, I could charge $300 and, and make it. And people would still pay it because they're getting so much value learning on how to build their own community-based businesses. Um, and my point here is being, is that I think what you're going to see is a lot more people setting these like memberships, um, $99, $199, $300, $500. And they're going to, you're going to start to see them make like 20, 50, hundred grand a month. And all of a sudden you're making a million dollars a year and it's like 98% profit. Yeah. It's crazy. So I think as what, as software has now matured and there's platforms like net, like school and stuff like that, where you can just set it easily, they handle the payments. Um, it's a pretty interesting time to be building paid communities right now. I agree totally. I think one, when I created Copy Blogger Academy, I was, I was surprised on how important the actual software product was. I first built it on MemberPress just because I was a WordPress guy didn't really like it. And then I went to Mighty Networks. I know some people like Mighty Networks. I did not like it at all because the landing page is like static. You can't customize your landing pages. Um, so it was like difficult to figure it out, but I landed on Circle. I think Circle is like really awesome. It's a perfect fit. Schools too. S school is cool as well. That's the, um, the consulting.com 
guy, right? Isn't that, yeah, he went out and built that yeah. thing. Um, and man, like it takes a bit. It's kind of like pushing a boulder down a hill because it's hard to get a community going that doesn't have a lot of action on the inside. But then once it's going, you know, the whole thing just takes off and your, your monthly expense never changes. And so like once you get your nut covered, all of the charges that come through are just all profit. And I think communities are cool as well because they are like really great. You know, the people inside them love being there. You get conversations going. There's like something to it where you're making money by also providing a thing that everybody is getting a lot of value from. And so I, I, I totally agree with you. I think it's like a perfect business model for most people. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting. Like in, in that personal community that I run, like, I've run it before and, you know, I've invested in, in, in some of the people, you know, you, you end up meeting people mm. and investing in them, hiring them. So there's also these other benefits besides just like the cash flow from, from paid communities, which is like, you're at the center of the community. And because of that, you get some really interesting opportunities. Yeah, for sure. A lot of unseen opportunities. Greg, I mean, man, I really loved our conversation. Um, I hope one day you and I can hang out face to face. We can keep shooting the shit about what it is that we're building. Um, what's what's the best place? Just late checkout. Dot studio, I think it is right. Did I get that right? Well, yeah, I guess check out late checkout. Studio just as like a website that you might learn from in terms of like developing unexpected websites. Uh, you can also check out communityempire.co, which is just a five, a free five day email course I have, um, around turning strangers into, into customers using things like audience and community. So if that part of the conversation interested you, um, and then Greg, Greg uh, personal webpage, which I'm, I'm putting up tomorrow. Um, nice. And then, to, yeah, I'm on Twitter, at Greg Eisenberg. I don't know. Fine. You can find me. I'm on the internet. Yeah, for or sure. I'm on, I'm, and I have a podcast, too. So check check my podcast, where it happens. I'll, I'll definitely link to that. All of, all of these pages will be linked in the show notes of the episode. You can find the show notes as long as the video and all of the uh, transcripts of the episode on copybloggerpod.com. Thank you so much for listening. Greg, I... Man, thank you so much for your time. I know you got a lot going on and, and you took an hour out of your day to, to come sit here and shoot the shit with me. So I, I really appreciate it. I hope we can uh, meet in person one day. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. Thanks, Tim.